This is The Guardian. Hi, it's Mike. Today we have a special episode. It's about how one Facebook post from a young woman, falsely claiming she was an abuse survivor, sparked a nationwide campaign for justice. But it also fueled vigilante violence, racist attacks, and ultimately, ruined lives. Our North of England editor, Helen Pidd, reports from Barrow in Furness. Today, how one woman's lies tore a town apart. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Can you see the crack? Oh, yeah, Can you feel yeah. the crack here? That's, yeah. So someone stood there and threw a brick, but missed either window and hit the case in and cracked the case in. Then they picked up another brick and smashed this window. Yeah, it was. This so, is the voice of a man we're calling Hamza. Day, we never got the perpetrators. One night in the summer of 2020, the Indian restaurant he ran in a port town in the northwest of England was vandalised. This entire side got smashed as well. His phone was already ringing off the hook. People threatening to come and do physical harm to us. We had people from Liverpool ring up, threatening to kill us. People threatening to rape my wife, kill my kids. I also received personal messages on my phone. Over the next few weeks, things got worse. Hamza saw business fall off a cliff. Like, on our business pages, we were receiving even more threats and people just spamming the page full of hate and hateful messages. This was all happening during the first lockdown. So at the time, his restaurant was running a delivery service only. Orders fell from 70 to 80 in a night to just two. Hamza started sleeping in the business to protect it. It was then that the attacks turned physical. As I was leaving the business, um, three people were riding across and they were skateboarding. Um, One was shouting racist remarks. The second one had a bottle of beer and he just threw it all over my face. And then the third one, as he was riding past, saying, we're going to get you even better, worse later. At that point, I snapped, got in my car, went after them. And luckily, one of my staff members saw what had happened. I would have done anything that night, but I'm glad I didn't. Hamza knew why he was being targeted. On the 20th of May 2020, a Facebook post had been uploaded by a local teenager claiming she'd been a victim of trafficking and sexual abuse by a group of Asian men. Within minutes, it had gone viral. No one was named on the original Facebook post, but an hour later, Hamza's restaurant appeared on a list that was being shared on Snapchat, claiming to show members of the grooming gang and the businesses where girls had been abused in the town. Many of those businesses were targeted, just as Hamza's was. Never come across her, and to be honest, She's had such a profound effect upon my life. It's unbelievable that such a stranger could do this to someone's life. Hamza says he'd never met her. He knew that what he'd been accused of wasn't true. 
But for months, the racist abuse and the boycotting of his business went on. And have you ever totted up how much money you lost? Around about northwards of £80,000 plus. Maybe even more. That's a minimum figure, £80,000. For Hamza and many others, it would take years for the full truth to emerge. I'm Helen Pidd, North of England editor at The Guardian. Today in Focus, how Eleanor Williams's abuse allegations unravelled. Furness is an industrial town on the Cumbrian coast that was once a major shipping hub. It has one key industry left, the construction of nuclear submarines. They're built in massive steel sheds which hulk over the rest of the town. If the skies are clear, you can see right across the Lake District fells from the town. But most locals would agree, it's seen better days. The streets are lined with boarded-up shops and rowdy pubs. Simon Fell is the local MP. Barrow is, it's a peninsula in the middle of nowhere. It is really hard to get to. Um, And, you know, local people call it the the road that goes in and out of it, the longest cul-de-sac in the world. And they do it for a reason. You know, we are a long distance from from other places. And so there's a sense of community there that the other towns that are, you know, on the coast or... Yeah, post-industrial don't have it, it comes from the sort of physical geography of the place usually what happens in barrow stays in barrow but all that changed with a facebook post from a 19 year old called eleanor williams on the 20th of may 2020 the obvious thing to remember is just the images in there um they were shocking absolutely shocking i a long time ago used to work in child internet safety and we used to look at just the most horrific images and this was as bad as some of that stuff that that I saw 15-20 years ago and the fact it was local and it was a girl based in the community making accusations about other people in the community I just wasn't quite sure where to turn. The Facebook post which ran to more than 1300 words showed pictures of Ellie covered in bruises with a deep black eye and a severed finger Ellie claimed that the day before, she'd been put into the back of a car and taken to an address to have sex with three Asian men. After that, she was beaten for not attending parties because of lockdown. Within hours, the post had received thousands of likes, from within Barrow and far beyond. A campaign called Justice for Ellie began, with the logo of a purple elephant. The elephant started appearing everywhere. Um, I remember one day I was pushing mental health leaflets through people's doors and probably one door in five had a a picture of an elephant in the window and this is Ellie the elephant in support of Ellie and it was really heartfelt. People got behind this movement. They thought there was a massive injustice being done and and a local family was was at the heart of it. A local councillor called Shane Yerrell from Essex a total stranger to Ellie, set up a crowdfunding page and raised funds for her. He managed to raise £22,000. Dozens of other young women came forward and said that Ellie had given them the courage to tell their own stories of abuse. People started meeting for rallies and solidarity. (laughs) 
In the weeks that followed, those rallies continued, sometimes getting nasty. They caught the attention of the far right. Ellie's story tapped into fears that girls in Barrow had fallen prey to the sort of grooming gangs that were uncovered in Rochdale and Rotherham, where at least 1,400 girls were abused in the late 90s and early 2000s. I've covered loads of these cases. When the victims tried to report the abuse, not only were they often not believed, but they sometimes ended up arrested themselves and prosecuted while their groomers walked free. And the fact that the abusers were disproportionately Asian, predominantly Pakistani, led to a backlash against those communities. And these divisions were exploited by far-right figures, like Tommy Robinson, the founder of the English Defence League. We're on the M6, we're on the way to Barrow. There's been a developing story. A young girl put a statement out on Facebook showing horrific injuries and said how she's been groomed... It was perhaps inevitable that within a few days after Ellie making that Facebook post, Tommy Robinson was on his way up to Barrow in a minibus with a film crew in tow. And then obviously this story by this Ellie girl was blew it up. There's so much to it. The local police were under huge pressure. It wasn't just the protests. They watched in horror as hate crimes tripled. It started with the restaurants and takeaways which had been named on the Snapchat list of businesses associated with Ellie's ordeal. And then it became more widespread with Asian doctors, pharmacists and even tourists being racially abused. But back then, police weren't able to tell the whole truth about what was really going on. In reality, things were much murkier. And some of those who knew Ellie suspected that she might not be telling the whole truth. Hi, it's Helen here from The Guardian. Hi. Can we come in? Chloe is 21. She lives a few streets away from where Ellie Williams grew up, in an area called Walney Island. Locals say it's the posh bit of Barrow, over a bridge from the town centre. Chloe isn't her real name. She was in the year below Ellie at school. When I meet her at home, she's with her mum and is carrying a rosy-cheeked baby girl. So how long have you lived in Barrow on Walney Island? All my life, 21 years. I've never moved. And have you ever met Ellie Williams? Yeah, numerous times. And what's, um, what's Ellie like and what was she like growing up? She was just... She had a lot of, like... I won't go as far as issues, but a lot going on. In school, like, she won't go to school. She'd always stay out of a lesson. But something was going on with Ellie, and no-one knew about it. Like, she was just very... acting very strange in school. Chloe didn't know Ellie well, but she always felt she was troubled. But their experience of growing up in Barrow was otherwise pretty similar. So we're on Walney Island now, where you live and where Ellie grew up. Like, would you hang out at the beach? No. No, not really? No, like, it's always too cold. (laughs) It's freezing. No, we normally just, like, the back street, just typical teenagers sitting in the back street. Oh, there's the park down, about five minutes walk. Mm. That's about it, there's nothing else to do. Despite noticing that Ellie didn't seem in a great place at school, 
Chloe was as shocked as everyone else when she saw the Facebook post. She was certain that Ellie had been attacked. I seen it probably the same day she put it up. Um, it was disgusting. It was absolutely vile, the stuff that I seen. I was like, how could you do that to someone? Like everyone else she knew, Chloe bought some Justice for Ellie merchandise and she started going to the support rallies in her elephant T-shirt. But despite that, something about Ellie's claims didn't ring true. And when you read Ellie's Facebook post and she talked about being taken to what she calls sex parties and, and that Asian men were forcing her to have sex, had you ever heard rumours that that sort of thing was going on in Barrow? Never. But it definitely seemed like something was going on. Ellie's behaviour had continued to be erratic since she left school. She was regularly seen out and about with injuries, bruises, black eyes, scratches. It wasn't unusual for her to not turn up to work or to go missing for days at a time. Chloe felt sure that Ellie was a victim of something. She just wasn't sure whether it was exactly what she was telling the police. Only I seen her with like a scratch from about her ear right down to like like collarbone. Um, I've seen her with bruises round her neck and stuff like that. But you don't think of anything like she's been kidnapped and all this mm. stuff and drugged, and you'll never go to that round here because it's never really happened. It's never been a story to happen round here. For Chloe, Ellie's injuries were a mystery, and so were her claims of a sex trafficking ring in Barrow. But soon, she found herself caught up in the story. I don't even know how I got involved. I literally just had the police round, out the blue. They said I was named by Ellie Williams that I was at these parties in Markham and... Was it Preston? Markham and Preston, um... Not the case at all. So I explained to them that I wasn't involved and it's absolutely nothing to do with me. And then it sort of took my statement and left it. About six months later, I had them around again for another date that she gave. I was like, absolutely not. Like the first time, I told you it wasn't me. Ellie told the police that as many as 60 girls, half of them from the local area, had been involved in these sex parties... She gave them a list of names. Chloe was on it. But as officers went from door to door, they were met with blank faces. None of the girls knew what they were on about. The reality was that even though every single one of Ellie's sex abuse allegations was being investigated by Cumbria police, detectives had also begun to suspect that she might be lying. Ellie had been known to police for a few years. She'd first accused a teenage boy of rape when she was 16, back in 2017. A year and a half later, by May 2019, she went further. She told police that she'd been raped three times by an 18-year-old local lad called Jordan Trengove. Jordan's a pale, thin young man who seems to have had the stuffing knocked out of him. When I meet him, it's 5pm, but he's still in his dressing gown. I was just asleep in bed when the police came and then I was arrested for rape and ABH on that time. Jordan was released from custody, but within days, police were back at his door. And then a day later, the police came back again and arrested me for another one. And then the third one was when I got sent to prison. Uh, the 
police came to my house because my window got smashed and I had rapists spray-painted on my wall. And I rang the police because of it. And the police came and arrested me instead of coming to investigate my window. Ellie told officers that she'd been raped on three separate occasions by Jordan. The first time was after a night out in Barrow on the 8th of March 2019. The thing is, Jordan had an alibi. Various friends told police that they'd been with him when he was supposed to have raped Ellie. One girl insisted that she had had sex with Jordan that night. and On the way home, the pair were picked up by police after officers spotted Jordan having a scuffle by the taxi rank. The girl even took a selfie of the pair of them in the back of the police van. And, and presumably this whole time you were saying, I, this is nonsense, I do Yeah, I, I gave them my phone. I gave them my phone, I gave them my Xbox. Uh, I said to them I want all DNA done. I was, and that was before they even asked about it. Um, a body map. Just What's I, a body map? Like where they check for bruises on me to see if I was in a fight with Ellie. So they checked me for bruises and there was no bruises, no markings, nothing on me. And they said, this is it, you go to jail now. I was just charged. Jordan was denied bail and spent ten weeks in prison on remand. And um, had you ever been to prison before? No. So you're 18 years old and sent to prison. What was that like? Uh, it was very, very scary. And I was put in, in a cell with actual rapists and sex offenders, paedophiles. While Jordan was locked up in prison, Ellie started to go AWOL more often. In one year, her mum reported her missing 32 times. In July of 2019, she told police that she was being trafficked by a grooming gang and forced to attend what she called sex parties across the country and abroad. We've got hold of an interview she gave to police on the 6th of July, describing a trip to Blackpool. We're all talking. And so it was all sorted about who was going with who and doing what. The police tape is poor quality, Um, but Ellie's describing being in a flat with a group of other girls. They're being allocated to different men for sex. A couple of girls got told they were wearing the right thing and got told to go change. The ringleader of this group, she claimed, was a businessman who lived in Barrow. Okay, well, I am name's Mohammed Ramzan, and I'm an ice cream operator vendor. Mohammed goes by the name Mo Rami, and he's a big local character. He dresses like he's in Peaky Blinders with a flat cap, braces. He often says he's no angel. He has a criminal record, and he spent time in prison. I have, I have a lot of business contacts in there, Holland. I have a lot of family in Holland. I come. I have always, for years, I've come and gone. He runs a chain of ice cream vans and has a number of other businesses in Barrow. The first time he was arrested in this case was the 7th of July 2019. Well, basically I got arrested on the promenade, but as I got arrested, and they had me on the pavement, and I was, then they started searching the car, and there's like six odd police officers just popped out of nowhere. And then obviously the graphics of it came out. You, you, modern day slavery due to exploitation, sexual... Whoa, what kind of rubbish is this? This is nonsense. They checked me in, locked me up. As soon as they said that, I started to kick it off. This is ridiculous. Ellie claimed that she'd met Mo when she was 12 or 13 at a family party. 
and that he'd started pimping her out to friends and strangers. This included that trip to Blackpool that Ellie was describing to police earlier. Ellie also claimed that Mo had sent her overseas, to Ibiza and to Amsterdam, where she was sold to the highest bidder at a brothel. Did they basically say to you, we think you are the ringleader yes. of a sexual exploitation Yes, gap? they did. Yes, they so did. that's what they thought they were dealing with, the- Cumbria's biggest ever grooming ring. Yeah. And you were supposed to be the kingpin. Apparently I was meant to be, yeah. Yeah, yeah they did, and that was, that was a shock to believe, you know, that... And it's not nice to have your name to be like linked to that or tarnished with that or to be in that category. These trips were not too hard for police to investigate. Ellie's passport record showed that she'd never been to Ibiza. She had been to Amsterdam, but on a trip to celebrate her 18th birthday with her sister Lucy and Lucy's boyfriend, Mo Ramy was able to produce an alibi for everything. How, how easy was it? for you to provide alibis for all these occasions when Eleanor Williams said that you had trafficked her to Blackpool, Ibiza, Amsterdam? Easy, because you could check uh, flight records. I went when I was travelling, when I wasn't, I'd give them all my phones. All this confirmed what Cumbria police already suspected. They'd been poring over flight records, mobile data, CCTV footage, and they were now convinced that Ellie had made most or all of it up. On the 20th of July, 2019, she was arrested on suspicion of perverting the course of justice. For Mo, things went quiet for nearly a year. Then Ellie went viral on Facebook with that first post. Helen, it was absolutely horrendous. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, after you've been arrested, you're still living this ordeal, but you're dealing with a few minorities, and then yeah. you one day would wake up after that, every single house in this street had, just except that one, right down at the Acostas, had justice for any posters. Every yeah. single one. That you could, and it was, it, it was just, it became torture. It was, it was a torture, it was like a, a witch hunt. It was like a man hunt. Mo says he received hundreds of death threats. Bricks were thrown at the shop and his windows were smashed. Things got so bad that he temporarily moved out of Barrow. So when Ellie's Facebook post first appeared, she'd already been charged with perverting the course of justice. But she didn't mention that. And so when a report appeared in the local newspaper saying that she'd appeared in court, there was confusion and there was outrage that she was the one in the dock. It really fueled the idea that, yet again, police were going after the victim rather than the groomers. And there were accusations of a cover-up. Police watched helpless as tens of thousands joined the Justice for Ellie movement. We know an offence we'll have it in jail. We'll have it in court eventually. Every one of you. Because we are not going away. And our numbers are building daily by the thousands. I went to Barrow Police Station to meet the man in charge of the investigation. Doug Marshall, I'm police staff, senior investigating officer, Cumbria Police. And um, so you got on board um, in the summer of 2019, and talk us through what you thought you were dealing with at that point. Well, the the reason um, I got brought in at that point was because we thought we were dealing with a, 
case of human trafficking and grooming. Uh, and as I'd had some previous history of dealing with child abuse, um, it was thought that I'd be a good fit um, to take this case on. Um, but all very quickly, it developed into something totally different. Ellie had been picked up by police in July 2019 after a minor incident. Officers noticed there was unusual activity on her phone. And she did appear to be getting um, a large number of contacts on the phone from, from men. And um, it, was, it was on that basis, really, that um, suspicion began to develop that she might be involved in, in some criminality that she was a victim of. So it was the police, and not Ellie herself, who first raised questions about potential grooming. And it was then that um, this uh, discussions about being involved in what she called sex parties um, and provided lists of various people and Snapchat accounts. Um, and then subsequently she went on to provide lists of other girls, she said, that were victims of the same type of abuse that she was suffering. Just remember thinking we have to try and safeguard these girls and we have to do a thorough investigation and, and try and arrest the people responsible. This was the list of 60 girls that Ellie gave to police, who she said had also been trafficked. Chloe, who we heard from earlier, was one of them. But for detectives, things didn't add up. And, and what, was, what was the point where you started to think she might not be telling the truth here? I, I, Mr Ramzan was actually in custody um, the day that I took the case over. And um, Miss Williams was going back to things when she was 12 and it was obvious that there's so many things been mentioned that it was going to take you know many hours sometimes hundreds of hours of, of interviewing in order to extract all that information so what I decided to do was to focus on the most recent event uh, that had been mentioned which was this Blackpool trip um, because my thinking was that if we focused on that we we could do warrants, we could retrieve forensic evidence, we could arrest people, and that would give us a good basis to start the inquiry um, by getting those people into custody. And then how quickly and, and how did you establish that she wasn't telling the truth about the Blackpool trip? And we did a massive um, CCTV trawl, you know, for that period. However, um, the results... Uh, a bit baffling to start with. Officers uh, attended uh, roughly over 50 hotels uh, in the Blackpool area and eventually found the one um, where she'd stayed at. We were then able to get CCTV of her booking into the hotel. We got, had CCTV of her wandering out of the hotel on two occasions, once to get some sweets at a local shop, once to buy a pot noodle at a supermarket. Um, so she hadn't been to any places at all. The thing is, a lot of what Ellie was doing online was actually quite sophisticated. At one point she had six phones, and some of them were specifically to send fake messages to herself as certain characters. Police started to realise that she was creating new characters to bolster each allegation, changing the names of real people in her phone to make them look like rumours. Obviously there was a mixture of people on the, on the contacts of people that had been totally made up and, and people that were real people. Meanwhile, Jordan Trengove, who Elliot accused of rape, was in a prison cell. Doug Marshall was working on both cases, and he realised that the allegations Ellie had made against Jordan were not likely to be reliable. He went to the Crown Prosecution Service and said that Jordan should be released and the charges dropped. Mm. Do you feel bad about what happened to Jordan Trengove? Well, I think you would be human if you didn't feel bad for Jordan Trengove. I mean... You know, he was a man, unconvicted of anything, who's um, 
you know, s- suddenly, you know, arrested multiple occasions for something they haven't done. Um, not only remanded in custody, but then ends up on a sex offender's wing. I mean, uh, you know, you wouldn't be human if you didn't have some feeling for that. In March 2020, Ellie was eventually charged over the lies she'd been telling police. Ellie's trial started in October last year, just before she turned 22, She was facing eight counts of perverting the course of justice and had already pleaded guilty to one. She'd been in prison for most of the previous two and a half years and she'd changed a lot in that time. She'd grown her hair long, she'd lost a lot of weight, she looked tiny and vulnerable sitting on her own in the dock behind the glass. Despite the massive outpouring of public support online, most days there was no one in the public gallery to support her. Cumbria Police spent months looking into Eleanor Williams' allegations. She got help from a local women's charity here. The police put her up in hotels to keep her safe. But the prosecution in her trial said that she was charged with perverting the course of justice when the police discovered that her allegations, which spread around this town like wildfire, were, in their words, a pack of lies from first to last. The jury was shown evidence that Ellie had self-inflicted her injuries, the bruises, black eye, cuts. Her DNA was found on a hammer left in a field after the battering she posted on Facebook. The court was shown footage of Ellie buying that hammer in Tesco just a couple of days previously, along with a bottle of shampoo and some greeting cards. Her trial at Preston Crown Court heard that she also fabricated evidence to support her claims, like her injuries in these photos. The jury was told she caused them to herself with a hammer. The jury took just three and a half hours to find Ellie unanimously guilty of eight counts of perverting the course of justice. A woman from Barrow and Furness has been found guilty of perverting the course of justice after falsely claiming on Facebook that she'd been groomed, trafficked and beaten by an Asian gang. But a jury at Preston Crown Court today decided that she'd made it all up. Ellie's mum was in court for the verdicts, and so was Jordan Trengove, who went to prison because of Ellie's lies. There was disbelief that after the Justice for Ellie campaign had swept through Barrow and beyond in the summer of 2020, it was all made up. And then there was that crowdfunder, the £22,000 which had now been handed over to the family. It wasn't clear what had happened to the money. Coming up, Ellie is finally sentenced, but can the people she accused move on? Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, 
You need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Ali was sentenced over two days this week at Preston Crown Court. I went down there with my producer, Lucy. We're waiting in the security queue outside Preston Crown Court. It's blowing a blizzard. And we are going in to find out finally what prison sentence Ellie Williams is going to get. So talk us through what's going to happen today and also what happened yesterday because we were in court for a really long day. Give us a sense of, of what went down. I was kind of surprised how emotional I found it being in court yesterday. The thing that affected me most was the victim impact statements from the men that Elliot falsely accused. Like, three of them said that they'd tried to kill themselves as a result of being falsely accused. One of them said that he was even sectioned. He was sectioned twice as a result of the trauma. And that really brings home to you just how horrendous it is to be accused of rape. I mean, I was hoping for a bit of insight into her psyche, into her childhood, anything, basically. I was grasping. I wanted to know, like, is there anything that can explain this? We got a few hints. There was, there was some suggestion that she might have complex PTSD as a result of childhood trauma, but we didn't really hear any details, and I'm not sure if the judge is going to take that too seriously today. And the sentencing is going to be broadcast, isn't it? Yeah, it's a fairly new thing with high-profile cases that... Um, that they allow cameras into court just to record the judge. So we won't, if you're watching on TV, you won't get to see Ellie's face, but you'll be able to see the judge read his remarks. Right, we've just got to the front of the queue, so we'll go through the revolving doors and see what awaits Ellie Williams. It is troubling to say the least that she shows no significant sign of remorse, even continuing to profess the truth of her allegations. The only flicker of appreciation of what she has done came today with a brief note read by her counsel regretting the effects of her post on the 20th of May 2020. The harm of this offending extends to an undermining of public confidence in the criminal justice system. We are aware that sex trafficking of young females does occur. There is a risk that genuine victims will, as a result of this defendant's actions, feel deterred from reporting it. People may be less likely to believe their allegations. The judge handed down a sentence of eight and a half years to Ellie Williams. He said he'd taken account of not just the seriousness of her crimes, but also her age and her vulnerabilities. He told her she should have realised that her post would incite others to behave in antisocial and unacceptable ways. Outside court, Jordan Trengo spoke to a scrum of reporters. 
Well, I've tried ending my life over it. I've had a bond with my son. I've not been able to leave the house. I've not been able to go to work, you know. So it's just now I know she's locked away for a bit longer. It's just a bit of a relief, but I wish it was longer a sentence. I do think I'll be able to move on with my life a little bit, but as bad as it sounds, I do think I'm going to move out of the area and so I'm not in the same area as when she's released. Ten of the jurors had come back to court just to see Ellie be sentenced and afterwards they crowded around Jordan and Mo, giving them hugs and handshakes. I'd never seen that happen before. I managed to pull Mo to one side. So, Mo, 8.5 years, is that enough? It's, it is. I was, like I said, I'm happy with the verdict of the, the guilty. And, but them to just give that, I think, is enough and she can use the time positively and do, if there's any need of anything they've been doing, any courses, any rehabilitation, acts of rehabilitation, that need to be addressed. And as long as she does that, I think we're good. And um, Jordan and some of the other men that she falsely accused have said in court that they don't think they're ever going to recover from this. How do you feel, kind of looking ahead to the future now? Uh, you know, as the trial started, I did have this thought. I did think I'm never going to recover. I do still feel sometimes. But that is me putting a barrier myself uh, stopping my recovery. Ellie's sister Lucy and their mum Alison sat at the back of the public gallery listening to the judge. Afterwards, Alison seemed sad but relieved. I was just ex- expecting a, a longer prison sentence uh, yeah. for Ellie, and you know, I think the judge has been really fair in to taking into account uh, her age and her vulnerabilities. And, you know, for her to be able to move on and find a life as well, she's really young, so... How did you feel when the judge was going through all the different allegations? It's really hard to listen to. Yeah. Um, you know, and as a mother, it's really difficult to accept that she's responsible for all the things that is said, but in the eyes of the law, I've got, I've got to accept that. Um, as you know, there's an appeal going in, so we'll just have to wait and see what happens from that. But at the moment, I'm, I'm really pleased, and that's all I want to say. My, my thoughts are with Ellie and getting her through the next couple of months and, you know, supporting her. are back in Barrow. Business is now doing much better. We go and see him on a Monday night when the restaurant is basically full. Oh, the food? Yeah, yeah it's food all right. Start is okay for you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that all right if I take these away? Yes. Thank you. Nearly three years on, Ellie Williams's lies are still impacting him and his family. So how long did it last then, this yeah, boycott, just having a trickle of orders a night? Um, we're still not at 100%. We're still about 85% there. Obviously, mud sticks around here, so people still think, well, it might not be true, all of it, but some of it might be true. Um, um, we were at Barrow Police Station today talking to the police about all sorts of things to do yeah. with this case and the long-term effects, and they said that they know of at least one person, Asian person, who left Barrow because they were falsely accused and have never returned. Was there ever a point where you thought, I can't do business in this town anymore? Um... Yes, I'll be honest, but uh, I was brought up to stand up for what I think is right. Kept it open to short people. I've got nothing to hide, and I will not bend down to, to these people that think they will shut us down and shut a business, people's livelihood, because of this girl that's made up false allegations. No way. I, I would never let that happen. I, 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 
I took it right to the end. And I'm glad I did, because I'm still here. And, and why do you think she made this stuff up? I really don't know, and I would love to know. I'd love to know why, what has gone on, and why... Why it happened? Like, just I just want to know why. Future victims, actual real victims of such crimes, may be scared to come forward now because of her actions, and that's a consequence of that. They will suffer more at the end of the day because they may be too afraid to come forward because of this case. There are so many reasons this incredibly unusual case sparked a wave of vigilante justice. People remember police failures in Rochdale and Rotherham. And like those cases, Ellie's story was exploited by the far right. Ellie's post went up several months into the first lockdown. Bored at home, spending too much time on Facebook, many people became more vulnerable than normal to online conspiracy theorists and agitators. Over the last three years, people became obsessed with Ellie Williams. As a reporter, I was one of them. Theories still abound about what really happened. Some say it could be linked to drugs, others to childhood trauma. We may never know. She's still insisting everything she said is true. Ellie Williams was just one young woman from a remote coastal town with a Facebook account and an axe to grind. Who'd have thought that would be all it would take to destroy trust in the police and divide a small community? That's it for today. This episode was produced by Lucy Hoff. Sound designed by Solomon King and Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producers were Homer Khalili and Phil Maynard. Today in Focus will be back on Monday. If you're looking for more Guardian podcasts, Pop Culture with Shantae Joseph has returned with more sharp-witted analysis, special guests and insights into what's trending. Search for it wherever you get your podcasts. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.